your faith stand up under the threat of persecution? Would you have the courage to proclaim God if it meant certain death? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah introduces those who will resolutely answer yes. The martyrs described in Revelation chapter 6, who will courageously give their lives standing firm for God. Listen as David shares today's powerful message, The Martyrs. And thank you for joining us today. You know, I remember as a teenager uh, that my parents gave me a copy of a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it was a pretty scary book because it's a story of what happened to people who stood up for their faith and lost their lives in the process. And we've always uh, probably thought that um, martyrdom was either way in the past or way in the future, but we now know it's in the present, and persecution is growing against Christians. I get a magazine from a, an organization that ministers primarily uh, to those who are martyrs, and uh, the statistics that are in that, in that magazine are frightening. It's, it's little by little pressing in. It's like the walls coming in around us. Persecution is coming to our world, and especially to Christians. We see the signs of it everywhere. Well, in the New Testament, we're told about a time when the martyrs are in heaven and they're crying out for uh, redemption. They're crying out, how long is it going to be before you take care of those who killed us? And it's a very interesting study from Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. We'll take two days to unlock it, and we'll begin in just a moment. I've been uh, really encouraging you to get copies of the study guides for this three-month series. Volumes 1, 2, and 3 give you the outline of all of the 30 messages that we preach on the radio during this time. It's a coordinate for the book, the Book of Signs, which you can also order from Turning Point online. I hope you get these study guides. They'll be helpful to you not only during the month of May, but they'll be helpful to you for many months after that. A very concise explanation of what's going on with all of these events that are in the future. Right now, let's open our Bibles again to the book of Revelation, and we're looking at the sixth chapter now, and we're talking about the martyrs. It was 10 o'clock on Sunday morning when Daniel Goldman, an up-and-coming attorney in a Turin, Italy law firm, finally rolled out of bed. He poured his cup of wake-up coffee, eased into his recliner, flipped on the TV, He had nothing to do before Rachel got out of church. They would eat lunch at their favorite restaurant afterward. Rachel. Oh, Daniel warmed at the thought of her name. He had met the raven-haired beauty at a bar mitzvah five months earlier. The attraction had been immediate and mutual. And as love blossomed, they had begun to talk of marriage. Four weeks ago, a woman in the marketing firm where Rachel worked had invited her to a Christian gathering, and within a few weeks, she had become a Christian. And this morning was her second time to attend the little church. Her conversion didn't bother Daniel. I mean, as far as he was concerned, she could follow whichever religion made her feel good or none at all. You see, he'd quit attending the synagogue the day after his college graduation, And his only connection with his parents' Jewish faith was attending an occasional wedding or bar mitzvah. A newsflash snapped Daniel out of his reverie. According to chaotic reports from around the world, thousands of people had suddenly vanished. 
People had disappeared from workstations and cars, airplanes and ships and military stations, causing widespread devastation. Cars had crashed. Planes had plunged to the ground. Gas plants had exploded. Cities were darkened by massive power outages. And Daniel watched incredulous as casualty estimates rose into the millions. Before long, the panicked news anchor announced something strange. From the reports we have so far, it appears as if all who have vanished were professing Christians. Daniel looked at his watch. It was time for Rachel to be out of church. He called her cell phone. There was no answer. He kept calling for the next half hour. Finally, he drove to the little church building. Cars were still in the parking lot, including Rachel's, and he walked inside. The pews were strewn with Bibles and bulletins and purses. Daniel searched until he found a lavender-colored Bible he recognized as Rachel's. He slumped to the floor, barely realizing that the sobs he was listening to were his own. Daniel remained in a stupor for many days. He plodded about his life mechanically, performing his duties at the law firm without his usual enthusiasm and creativity. The law firm itself was in turmoil. I mean, having lost 14 of its 50-plus employees in cataclysmic disappearance, the increased workload significantly stretched the remaining attorneys and their staff. Daniel was grateful for the distraction and also for the overtime. One day, while he was at work, his phone rang. I need to see you in my office. It was the firm's senior partner. As Daniel entered, his boss couldn't look him in the eye. Daniel, he said, I have to let you go. Daniel tried to absorb the blow. What have I done wrong, he said. We all know the firm is shorthanded after the big disappearance. You've been trying to recruit everywhere, trying to find new lawyers. So why are you firing me? I'm not at liberty to say, Daniel, and please don't ask any questions. It will do no good. I'm giving you a generous severance package. It's already been deposited to your account. Still reeling, Daniel returned to his desk, boxed up his belongings. Stunned though he was, the young lawyer had no doubt he would find another job. I mean, after all, all the law firms in turn were desperate for attorneys ever since the mass disappearance. One evening, after a month of hitting dead ends, Daniel sank deep into his recliner, wondering what he would do next. He had plenty of money. He had quite a bit saved even before the severance package, but it sure wouldn't last forever. Then the phone rang. Daniel Goldman, the voice was familiar, but Daniel couldn't place it right away. Matthew Perlman here. Matthew, my old friend, I haven't seen you in ages. How in the world are you? Not bad. Just heard you've been fired. Join the club. Not you too. I mean, you're a partner in your firm. How did you get fired? Well, it doesn't matter. We're all being fired, Daniel. We need to talk about this. Can we meet for coffee tomorrow? Once they were tucked away at the remote table in the local cafe, Matthew wasted no time. This is Judas Christopher's doing. We've learned that he is anti-Semitic down to the core. He's forced our own gutless premier to get rid of all the Jews in Italy. Firing us is just his first step. Jews in other cities are quietly being rounded up and shipped away on trains, and we don't know where they're being taken. We know that none of them ever return. 
We've just learned that Turin is next, and the purge could begin at any moment. Who is this we you keep referring to? An underground network organized to help Jews in this crisis. Matthew leaned toward Daniel. We have set up a secret headquarters in the basement of an abandoned factory building. We call it the exchange. That night, following Matthew's instructions, Daniel went to the exchange. He was admitted into a space that had formerly been the warehouse locker room, and Matthew greeted him with a broad smile. As I told you, we collectively run an underground operation to help Jews. We also have another purpose. We are all Messianic Jews, which is another name for Christians. You're a Christian? Daniel was incredulous. But you were always such a staunch Jew. Well, the big disappearance forced me to do some serious soul-searching. And since my conversion, I have joined these brothers and sisters in devoting myself not only to saving our fellow Jews' lives, but also saving their souls. Why would you want to become a Christian now? Well, I didn't know much about Christianity before, but the fact that only Christians were taken in the rapture got my attention. I mean, I knew that had to mean something, So I got a Christian Bible with a commentary, and I learned all this had been predicted. And the more I studied, the more I realized that Christianity is actually a fulfillment of Judaism. So I became a believer in the crucified and resurrected Messiah. Matthew's face glowed as if it was lit by some inner fire. Man, you're really into this, Daniel said. Yes, I am. You see, I'm one of 144,000 Jewish evangelists throughout the world who've been called to bring people to belief in the Messiah. Daniel rolled his eyes. Come on, Matthew. How can you possibly know all this? Matthew was ready for the question. He took his Bible, only a few weeks old, but already showing signs of wear, and pointed to passage after passage explaining how Jesus' coming made sense out of hundreds of prophecies from the Hebrew Scriptures. He went on to show passages from the New Testament that explained the current disturbing events and horrors looming on the horizon and his mission. Matthew closed his Bible and looked gravely at his friend. Daniel, I urge you to do two things. I'm listening. First, I beg you to turn to our Messiah before it's too late. And second, you need to get out of Italy immediately. Daniel was ready on both counts. He committed his life to following Christ, knowing full well that it would cost him a lot. Matthew explained that the first thing in the morning, Daniel was to go to the bank and withdraw all of his savings And when he got home, a FedEx truck would pick him up and take him and others who were going to the Grenoble change in France. Daniel followed instructions, not prepared for yet another shock at his bank the next day. The government had already confiscated every euro that he had. The gravity of the situation was really starting to sink in. He rushed home, locked the doors, shuttered all the windows, and as he stuffed his suitcase, he heard a furious pounding at the door. Peering through a slit in the blinds, he saw five armed men in Italian military uniforms. The knock came again, loud enough to rattle the windows. Daniel grabbed his suitcase and headed for the back door. He ran down the alley behind the houses in his neighborhood. He could hear the soldiers shouting behind him, but they were too far back to see him. Soon he was gasping for breath 
He knew he wouldn't be able to run much longer, so he rounded a corner, almost ran into a garbage can. He crawled inside, pulled the lid in over him, and stayed there for almost an hour until he no longer could hear any of the soldiers who were searching for him. Trembling with terror, he took out his cell phone and called Matthew and explained what had happened. Whatever you do, don't come here, Matthew said. They're on to us, and we've scattered. We're all over the country. We're being caught and shipped to gas chambers modeled after those in Auschwitz and Dachau. We're all in grave danger, Daniel. You must get to France immediately, but don't go by the highway. You have to walk across the countryside, and you have to go at night. After four long nights, Daniel covered the 30-plus miles to the border. He made his way over the Alps through a gap near the highway and reached France just as the sun rose behind him. Following his friend's instructions, Daniel found the sister exchange that the Jews had set up there for those who were running. Not long after he became the leader of the United European Nations, Judas Christopher demanded that every person on earth acknowledge him as their God. To enforce compliance, he decreed that no one would be allowed to buy or sell any commodity, including food, clothing, and shelter, without a government-issued number. And no number would be issued to anyone who refused to worship him. On the night following the decree, Daniel and the other Jews who ran the Grenoble Exchange met to address this new crisis. The meeting ended with the adoption of a strongly worded resolution rejecting the government-issued numbers and encouraging all Messianic Jews to do the same. Late one night, Daniel sat at a large table with 20 other exchange leaders. They were meeting to arrange shelter for a recently uprooted Jewish man who now sat among them. Suddenly, the door burst open. And the man who had been standing guard rushed in, slamming and bolting the door behind him. They're here. They have found us. Daniel awakened in a filthy prison several weeks later. A score of other prisoners packed into the cell. It wasn't long before several armed guards unlocked the cell and took five prisoners away. An hour later, they returned and took five more. Daniel and his three companions and one other prisoner were taken next. They stripped off Daniel's clothes, chained his wrists high above his head, flogged him with metal-studded whips till his back was shredded nearly to the bone. Unable to stand, he was dragged out of the chamber to the enclosed yard, and two soldiers stepped forward to deliver Daniel to the block. But he insisted to walk by himself, stand for what he believed. As he approached the block, he began to sing softly at first and then with growing volume and feeling. It was an old song that he had learned from his companions at the exchange. And here were the words to the song, O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. And then he knelt, placed his head upon the block, and uttered a prayer. A moment later, Daniel arose from his kneeling position feeling no pain. He looked around him and saw to his amazement that he stood beside a huge altar shaped like the one he'd seen pictured in Solomon's temple, only this one was made of pure shimmering gold. At that moment, Daniel felt something being draped over his shoulders. It was a magnificent robe, dazzling white and fringed with shimmering gold. All of his questions melted away as he rested. 
confident that all was well in the mighty hands of his Lord and Savior. That's the end of the story. Everybody take a deep breath. (laughs) You say, Pastor Jeremiah, that is, where'd you find all that? In three verses, in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And so that you know, men and women, that this story is not a fantasy. It's been a bit fictionalized to fill in the interplay between the characters. I want to take you through those three verses, 9, 10, and 11, so you can see that this is what the Bible says is going to happen in the future. The history of redemption has been written in the blood of martyrs, much like Daniel in our fictional story. All of the apostles, with the exception of John, were martyred for their faith. Only the apostle John was allowed to live out his life, and he did so as an exile on the island of Patmos and wrote this book by revelation from God. Moses predicted way back in the book of Deuteronomy that the Jewish people would suffer persecution and many of them would be killed and martyred because of who they were. In Deuteronomy we read, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone, and among those nations you shall find no rest. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, anguish of soul. Your life will hang in doubt before you. You will fear day and night. In the morning you will say, oh, that it was evening. And in the evening you will say, oh, that it was morning because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes shall see. Any of you who have studied the history of the Jewish people know their history has just been one of one persecution after the other. And many Jewish people around the world are suffering from the persecution of those who hate their ethnicity. But men and women, I need to tell you, the suffering of the Jewish people in history will seem insignificant in comparison to their suffering during the tribulation period. If you have your Bible still open to Revelation chapter 6, in verse 9, we are given a little bit of the context of their martyrdom. The Bible says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Who are these martyrs? Who are these who are slain? Well, if you read the text carefully, you discover that John places them in the future after the church of Jesus Christ has already been raptured and the dead in Christ have been resurrected. So these martyrs in Revelation chapter 6 are not from this age, the church age. They are not from the age in which we are now living. And since the martyrs ask for judgment upon their oppressors who are still on the earth, their murderers are obviously still living during the tribulation period. So these martyrs are faithful saints who are killed during the seven years of tribulation on this earth. During the seven-year tribulation period, many Jews will return to God just as Daniel Goldman did in our story. And those who trust in God at that time will be called upon to demonstrate their faith often with their very lives. Revelation 12:11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. 
In other words, they would not hold on to their lives and give up their faith. Jesus spoke of this particular time of intense suffering in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 24, he said, All these are the beginning of sorrows. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Now, why are they martyred? What is the cause of their martyrdom? I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Watch this for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These saints in the tribulation period are going to be sacrificed on the altar of their devotion to God and their witness and adherence to the word of God. We must remember that when the church is raptured, the restraint of the Holy Spirit will be removed from this earth. And the rulers of that day will target the followers of Christ and vent their anger against them as they vent their anger against Almighty God. The testimony that they held is likely a reference to the judgment that these believers will preach. As the events of the tribulation intensify, they will not back away. They will warn that even more severe judgment is to come as they have become Christians and have understood the word of God and understood the prophecies of the future, they will warn their fellow travelers on planet earth that if you think this judgment is bad, you better get right with God because it's going to get worse. They will preach repentance and reckoning and they will be killed for their message. I remember some years ago reading a paragraph written by a man that you know I greatly admire, Dr. W.A. Criswell, He offers this reminder that it is part of a prophet's very nature to proclaim judgment. He says, whenever there's a true prophet of God, he will preach judgment. These modern so-called ministers of God speak all things nice. There's not any hell anymore, there's not any devil anymore, and there's not any judgment anymore. In our enlightened and sophisticated day, we stand up and we speak of the love of Jesus, and we speak of peace, and we speak of all things pretty and beautiful. But remember, The same book that tells us about the good tells us about the bad. The same revelation that speaks to us about heaven speaks to us about hell. The Bible that presents the Lord Jesus as the Savior is the same Bible that presents to us the devil as our enemy and adversary of damnation and destruction. The two go together. If there is not anything to be saved from, you don't need a Savior. And men and women, that's a message we all need to listen to. Nobody likes to preach judgment. Everybody loves to preach the love of Jesus. But you know what? You have to take the Bible as it is. And in the future, as we learn, there's going to be a time of judgment on this earth. And those who stand for Christ, like these martyrs, are going to pay a price because of their unwillingness to back down when the heat is on. Hmm. Do you ever ask yourself this question, what would I do if I had to either stand for Christ or become a part of the culture that's presently on the earth? Would I have the courage to stand up for my faith even if it meant my impending death? I don't know that any of us can answer that question and probably wouldn't be able to answer it until we faced it. But here is the record of those who gave their lives for their faith. 
And we'll pick it up where we left off today when we meet tomorrow, Thursday and Friday of this week, another intriguing study on the 144,000 witnesses during the tribulation period. This is intriguing stuff. I hope you're listening every day. And um, once again, you can get the study guides that carry you through this. You can get the book from which this is derived. All of that from davidjeremiah.org. It's a good place to go. There you will also find out about many of the events that are coming up uh, for Turning Point. For instance, uh, we're going to Alaska in July. You can find out all about that on our website, and I hope you will do that. Pretty soon we'll be announcing the fall rallies, which we're right now um, working on trying to get all of the arenas scheduled and all of that. And we'll tell you more about that as we move toward the future. The Lord willing, we're going to have some very special things in the fall um, concerning Bethlehem and our time in New York at the Beacon Theater. We hope you will just stay tuned every day. And by the way, get our magazine because that magazine outlines all of this. Find out about it when you call a write today. See you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. David's new resource that relates the numbers in Scripture to God's prophetic plan. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Richard E. Byrd was one of the most decorated American aviators in military history. 
but he was also an adventurer, leading expeditions to the North Pole and being first to reach the South Pole. He was someone who knew what it meant to stretch the limits of human possibility and endurance. In fact, he once said, Few men during their lifetime come anywhere near exhausting the resources dwelling within them. There are deep wells of strength that are never used. Have you considered what is inside you that is yet to emerge? Ask God to show you what He created you to be for Him. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's potential inside you on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.